This passage really deals with elders in particular, the office of the elder, the role of a pastor, of an overseer. And it's really important that we look at a passage like this, especially on a Sunday like, like this, because God wants you um, as a church to understand the significance of pastors, of elders in the local church. He wants you to understand uh, the role. He wants you to understand their responsibilities, and he wants you to understand the reward that is in store for them. And Peter talks about all these things in this passage. And, and while I'm going to, in a sense, really preach directly to the elders of this church, um, I'm not letting you all as the church family off the hook. You need to understand what your elders are doing, who they are, what God's called them to, but you need to understand how you're supposed to respond to the role that they have, how the church functions like a family. It's interesting that Peter, as he writes this letter, if you know anything about the context of 1 Peter, you know this. He's, he's writing to a church that is dealing with a lot of trouble. I mean, it's a really difficult time, turbulent times, you might say, that they're facing as a, as a church. In fact, he begins the letter by calling believers the elect exiles of the dispersion. These are a people who have been dispersed. These are a people who are living like exiles. They're feeling the pressures of the world. The world is squeezing in upon their Christian faith. And there's a growing sense of hostility that is, that is developing toward the people of God. And so as Peter writes this letter, some of the dominant themes in this letter are themes like hope. Like, like a future hope that the believers are to cling to and hold on to. Themes like suffering and suffering well for Jesus, being sifted and tried being refined by the suffering that you will face for following Jesus. And he, he calls them to things like holiness, purity. He wants them to, to be a people, yes, who suffer well, but a people who stand out for their faith in Jesus Christ, who look like Jesus Christ. The real issue he is dealing with in this letter is how do Christians remain faithful and fruitful in a really difficult season? a season where maybe they're more inclined to become fearful. And so what Peter does here in this chapter is he shifts away from this external hostility that he says the church will inevitably face outside the family of God, and he turns inwards. He wants the church to begin to focus inwards on the internal dynamics of the household of God. And he begins, look at verse 1, with the word so. In other words, so or therefore, he's linking us back to the previous context. He's making a logical connection back to what he's previously said. And it's fascinating. Just look quickly with me at chapter 4. Look at verse 17. He said this. Aside from all the craziness that's going on outside of the church, listen to what he says. He says, your focus isn't supposed to be primarily outside of the church, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteousness is scarce, the righteous community is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing so. Part of Peter's goal is to mobilize the church so that they are able to weather the storms of suffering that they will inevitably face for following Jesus. 
And so what I want to simply do is I want to give three exhortations for the elders, and my goal for you men in particular is to help you become faithful shepherds or remain faithful shepherds, and then we're going to loop back around at the very end, and I've got one command for you, the community of faith. The first call that God gives to the elders is this, the first charge is this, to embrace the call of God. The question that he's answering again is, how can the church remain strong and faithful? The answer is this, they must have faithful shepherds. They are not going to be able to weather the storms. They will not be strong. They will not be stable in the midst of the storms unless they have faithful shepherds. He begins by telling the church, he says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. He exhorts first the elders to embrace their God-given role among the people of God. The word elders here is used of those who are leaders in the church. And many of you know that this passage actually deals with the three key terms that are used for the elders of the church. Elders, overseers, pastors. Three terms describing in many ways the same role. And here he appeals to the elders, and it's important to understand that there is an Old Testament backdrop to what Peter is writing here. You see, this term is not unique to the New Testament. The term elders actually is being carried forward from the Old Testament, and, and Peter is actually dealing a lot with, he's, he's referencing even subtly a lot, the book of Ezekiel as he writes his letter to the church. In chapter 4, he's actually been drawing heavily upon Ezekiel chapter 9. Where in that chapter, judgment begins with the elders who are actually in front of the temple, the household of God. And the elders, you see, of Ezekiel's day were not fulfilling their God-given role. And as a result, the people that they were supposed to lead were actually themselves not following God faithfully. You've probably heard the, the old adage, right? As priest goes, so the people go. That's actually a very biblical principle, and in the New Testament context, we ought to say something like this, as pastors go, so go the people. It's important to understand that the connection he's making here is that the, the, the level and godliness of the leaders matters immensely for the godliness and maturity of the church. So Peter begins with the elders. Isn't deal... Right now, with the rest of the family of God, he deals with the elders. He goes straight to the top, to those who have been given this great responsibility to lead the people of God, because they are the ones that will end up setting the trajectory for the rest of God's people. So let me say to you men who are called to be elders of the flock of God, God is calling you men. He is calling you first and foremost to be godly, holy, Christ-like men. He's calling you to be men who are exemplary not perfect, but exemplary models of Christ-likeness. I love how he appeals to the elders. You notice this? As a fellow elder. Notice that Peter doesn't stand above them as an apostle. He stands among them, with them, as a fellow elder. He has been given a unique role as an apostle of Jesus Christ. But here, what he's doing is so sweet. You have to see his soft heart for the, the church and especially for the leaders. He's identifying with them in the call. He's sympathizing with these men. 
And what he's saying to them is is so sweet. He's saying, listen, I am so intimately acquainted with the call that God has placed on your life. I I know all of the ups and downs. I know all of the good and the bad. I've, I've seen it all. I've been through it all. I I know the hardships you're going to face. I I know the problems and the pain. I know the strains and the sacrifice. Peter, he gets it. And then he appeals on this basis. Did you notice this? He says, not only is he a fellow elder, he says he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Why does he he insert this here? Again, keep the broader context in mind. The whole letter is filled with this picture of suffering than glory, suffering than glory, suffering than glory. And you want to know what he's reminding them of? He's like, listen, he's like, this is the gospel. This is the call of the Christian life. The Christian life is a life of suffering for Jesus here and now, and then glory. Suffer well for following Jesus. Suffer well for living for his glory here and now, and then comes the ultimate fulfillment, the reward that's awaited, the inheritance, he tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for believers. It's, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's a guarantee. But you want to know what he's saying? You can't get there unless you go through here. You can't just pull the parachute from suffering. You need to to suffer like Christ did. He knows this is the pattern. And this is Peter we're talking about, remember. He's given his life to this calling, and he will one day give his life for this calling. So what exactly is the call of God that the elders must embrace? It's really, really simple, isn't it? Look at verse 2, just the very beginning. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's the call. It's a call to be a shepherd, to do everything that a shepherd is called to do. Now, this is very unfamiliar territory for us we, we, not many of us, I don't think, I'm looking across this room, I'm pretty sure none of you have ever been a shepherd. Maybe I'm wrong. Not a lot of sheep grazing out there. But in the ancient world, right, this picture was a vivid picture, and this language was deeply, again, rooted in the Old Testament. Perhaps, perhaps this triggered a reminder of the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, verse 4, the, the negative example of the shepherds who treated the flock so poorly, not strengthening the weak or healing the sick, leaving them lost and wandering to suffer injury through harsh treatment from the shepherds who were supposed to care for them. Or maybe the thought of Jeremiah 3.15 and the promise of God that he would give his people shepherds after his own heart who will feed his people with knowledge and understanding. Every time I read this section, I, I, can't, I can't help think that Peter, when he wrote the word, shepherd the flock of God, I can't help but thinking that his mind didn't go back to the, the, the time where he was sitting on the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee. You remember the time? He must, as he, as he wrote, shepherd the flock, he must have just went, oh, 
I remember, I remember when I was so overconfident, where I, I thought I was going to follow Jesus even unto death, and Jesus told me that I would deny him three times, and, and I did it. I denied him three times. You know the story, right? Denies him three times. He weeps. He's broken. And then in one of the sweetest displays of grace, I think, in the New Testament, here he is sitting on the seashore of Galilee, and Jesus comes to him, and he restores him back to his ministry. And with that same, you know, the threefold denial, that threefold kind of call or charge to Peter. Do you remember what he said to him? Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Okay, what's his response? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, yes, Lord. Okay, tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Okay, feed my sheep. It's this, it's this beautiful display of grace, throwing him back into the role that God had designed for him. Peter, the time, listen, this is why this is so important. The time where Peter felt most inadequate, he was met by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a sweet reminder for you men that God is not looking for perfect men. He's not. He's just looking for humble men. He's looking for men who love him and love his church, men who are called, men who are qualified. Peter now passes on the same commission to these elders in the church. He's calling them to be faithful shepherds. Do everything that shepherding requires. Feed the sheep, tend the lambs, lead them, guide them, protect them, help them. And just a reminder, um, this is not going to be easy. There will be challenges. There will be obstacles. There will be failure. I had a seminary professor who, who reminded us, listen, as pastors, like he's, he always used to tell us in seminary, you got to, listen, if you want to you shepherd well, you got to smell like sheep. And then he'd always used to tell us this, but remember, sometimes sheep bite. Not you. You're good sheep, I, I, I'm sure. It's not always easy. The task of the shepherd carries with it, though, an unequaled responsibility. And you have to see the weight that's placed on these men, church. Listen to what they were called to do, to shepherd the flock. Look at the, look at the text. Look at the text. The flock of who? Of God. This is God's flock. This is, this is not the elder's church. You are God's flock. You are God's people. And, and that's where you find your identity and your value. You are a part of the flock of God. And you want to know how valuable you are to God? You are so valuable that God spilt the precious blood of his own son for you. You are a precious possession to God your Father. It's a sweet reminder. I, I loved every part of this service, and so much of it is focused on the gospel. But maybe there are some of you here even just you know, asking this question, well, how do I become a part of God's family? How do I become a part of God's flock? The answer is, is found right here. It is only by being purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. You see, apart from God's family, you're actually a part of the, the domain of darkness, 
and you need to be transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. And for that to happen, you need to recognize your, your sin. You need to recognize you have rebelled against God Almighty. And the only hope you have is not by simply becoming something better than you are. It's not by earning your way into God's good graces. We could never do that. The answer is only found in that God loves us so much that he would come for us. He would come and, and spill the blood of his own son. We're going to celebrate this in a couple weeks in a really special way. I know you guys are too, but as, as Julian said, we celebrate this every single day of the Christian life. We serve a God who is not dead but is alive. He conquered sin and death. He rose victoriously from the grave. He is exalted to the right hand of the Father. He rules and reigns supreme right now. And he rules his church as we, listen, are the people who have surrendered ourselves to his lordship. We've submitted to him as our savior and our king. And he has forgiven us, cleansed us, and he has filled us with his spirit and now, listen, what he's doing in the church is he's mobilizing us as the people of God. He's given you guys the gift of, of pastors, of elders and teachers in order to strengthen you and mature you, to equip you for the work of the ministry because there's work to be done for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, church? This is why God equips the church and gifts the church with godly, faithful shepherds. And at the heart of this calling, for you men who are shepherds of this church, make no mistake about it, Peter knew this intimately, at the heart of this calling is a love for Jesus Christ. It's a love for Christ. You cannot love the sheep well if you do not love the Savior well. And I want to encourage you men to pursue an affection and love for your Savior above and beyond anything else in your life so that you can love the people that God has entrusted to you. Notice this, the flock of God that is among you. You are stewards. Knowing you are called to shepherd is one thing, but knowing how to do it is another. And so Peter actually tells us here, so let me give you the second point, it's this, exercising the care like God. He actually goes on to really spell this out to give some principles to help us unpack what it means to shepherd the flock of God. He says this in the middle of verse 2 there, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The call to shepherd really is a call to care like God. Again, you, you can't read these words without having certain passages of Scripture just kind of leap into your mind, right? I mean, how many of your minds, when you think of, of shepherds, you instantly think of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. Or your mind jumps to John chapter 10. Jesus is the good shepherd, and really what you have to understand is that the shepherding ministry in the church is really just an extension of God's shepherding ministry for his people. He calls you first to be exercising oversight, to watch over the sheep, to provide the proper care that they need, to protect them. 
Peter wants us to know exactly what this looks like. He actually gives here kind of three warnings or three pitfalls that leadership presents, and he gives them the contrasting counterparts that are to be employed. You can think of it like this. There's kind of three vices and three virtues. And what he ultimately is doing here is describing men of character. And that's helpful to understand, and I'm sure you, you already know this, but let me remind you if you don't, the qualifications for an elder are almost exclusively character-related. The only competency mentioned is the ability to teach. Everything else is character because that is what matters most to God. Character is the priority. He's concerned, therefore, the, about the motives and the attitudes that characterize the elders of his church. So let me frame it like this. I'll frame the three like this. He, he wants men who are not coerced but compelled. Not coerced but compelled. God is looking for men who are not coerced by external pressure to jump into the office, to simply do it because there's nobody else. No, he wants men who are compelled by an internal desire. No one can be forced into this role, but they must willingly accept the call that God has placed on them. With all of its challenges and all of its difficulties, Elders, in other words, aren't supposed to be like a, a mule with a bit in their mouth to steer them and lead them. They're, they're not supposed to be like a, a drafted soldier, but a soldier who willingly volunteers, who signs up and is eager to get after the work. He's looking for men who are compelled, listen, not to the office, not to the authority, but compelled to the ministry, to the care to serve God's people. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 3 that they must aspire to the office of an overseer, men who are passionate, again, about him, his church, and his glory. In other words, you could say it like this, God wants men who want the ministry and who want it for the right reasons. You see, why is this so important to, to emphasize? Well, I, I like what Tom Schreiner says. He's a commentator. He writes these words. He says, those who serve only because they feel they must will lose their joy, and the church will suffer as a consequence. You don't want elders who are simply coerced into it, who, who don't want to be serving you. You want people who are in it for your good. You want people who know, who you know they love Jesus, they love the church, and they're willing to invest all of themselves in the health and growth and life of this family. This is crucial because leaders, again, they'll often face the greatest criticism. They'll often face the greatest ostracization, and, and they'll often, even if you follow church history, will, will face the greatest persecution. They will face the brunt of the enemy's attack. To be a leader in the church is to put a target on your back. This is a burden that the elders, the leaders of the church, must willingly and gladly bear. Those who are coerced into leadership will inevitably compromise and capitulate at the first sign of personal cost to them, and God cannot have that in his church. It's what Jesus talks about in John chapter 10. He talks about the hirelings, the hired hand, who they see the wolf coming for the sheep, and they flee. They flee at the first sign of, of personal cost to them. Why? They've got no stake in it. They've got no ownership in it. But, but not so the shepherd. 
You know, I, I know that in your church, it's the same as mine. Our prayer is that God would raise up an army of faithful shepherds who are compelled by the Holy Spirit, not coerced by man. And perhaps God is calling some of you, or he will someday. As these men stand before you, you're looking and saying something like, well, maybe God is calling me to that one day. What do I need to be thinking about? What do I need to be doing? How do I figure this out? And, and I'm not going to give you an exhaustive answer to that, but let me give you a few things that will help serve you as you're striving maybe to be more useful in the hands of God. What should I do? Here's five things, okay? Really quickly. First is this. Simply be faithful. As people, as children in God's family, be faithful, Faithfully attend church, faithfully engage with the people of God, faithfully serve the body of Christ. Let me give you a second one. Be growing. If you ever want to aspire to any, any place of leadership in the local church, this must be a, a priority for you. Be growing in Christ-likeness, in godliness. Be a, a man or a woman of the word of God. Be a man or woman of prayer saturate yourself, soak yourself in the word of God. Be around the people of God because listen, Christian growth does not happen in isolation. It happens in community. Sharpen one another, grow together. Here's a third one for you, be following. Be following. The greatest leaders are always those who are great followers. Make sure that you yourself are submitting to the leadership of the church. You're following and you're, you're striving to come under those who are over you in the Lord, demonstrating that humility that will only lead to your growth in Christ-likeness. Here's a fourth one. Be discipling. Uh, we, are, we are churches that are making disciples. This is what we're all about, right, church? We are disciple-making churches, and we're making disciples who are making disciples. Did you know one of the signs of Christian maturity in your life is that you're not just taking stuff in, you're actually spitting it back out to others. You're making disciples. Be investing in others around you. Let me give you a final one. Be asking be asking. This is a really important one and one that I find helps people just advance so quickly, so exponentially. Be asking for feedback. One of the greatest detriments to our own spiritual growth is that we're never asking anybody for feedback. We're never coming to people who are, are trying to care for our souls and say, hey, wh where do I need to grow? How could I be more useful? Where am I gifted? Go to the elders of the church. Ask them how you can be growing in the Lord. Ask them what you could be doing with what God has given to you. Okay, let's move on to the next little sub-point here. He calls us um, not simply to not, uh, he's looking for men who are not coerced but compelled. Next, not selfishly but selflessly serving. Again, the, the idea here is that we're not hired hands. Yes, some of the pastors of the church are paid, but that is in accordance with the scriptures but this is not to be the motivating factor in ministry. So Peter actually warns against the elders' uh, desire for money or lust for money. He's warning them against greed. He calls it here a shameful gain. And in contrast, they're to be doing what they're doing eagerly. The warning here really is against taking up the work of the ministry because of a desire for material gain. And again, I'm convinced that the backdrop to what Peter says here is actually found in Ezekiel 34, verses 2 and 3, where Ezekiel exhorts the elders, God does through Ezekiel, says, saying this, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. 
prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. That's a graphic picture of shameful gain. And it has no place among the elders in God's church. Greed and selflessness, or selfishness, excuse me, have destroyed many men who once aspired to lead God's people well, who maybe at times were leading God's people well. And instead, the call here is that godly leaders must lead eagerly. There should be a zealousness to serve and to give of yourselves. There should be an inward delight in being spent for the good of others. Spiritual leadership is never about what you can get from the people of God. It is always about what you can give for the people of God. Man, I want to encourage you and exhort you to sacrifice, to give your time, your energy, to serve with a selfless love for God's people, a selfless love that resembles the love of Jesus himself. Finally, he calls you there to uh, not subduing, but serving. He warns here against a style of leadership that hurts the people of God rather than helps the people of God. Notice the language in verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This statement implies that you are entrusted with a real authority. But that authority can be easily abused. Elders are never to be characterized as being domineering. Any kind of oppressive or intimidating leadership that is characteristic of ungodly men is a perversion of the shepherd's role. Jesus made it abundantly clear that though the Gentile rulers lord it over them, it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall become your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Everyone in a leadership position in the church should realize that the requirement to live a life worthy of imitation is not optional. Faithful shepherds must lead with humility, not drive with pride. Your life as the, the elders in this church should command and your tongue should persuade. The church ought to be able to look to you to see an example of a life that is devoted to Christ. You do not, this is really important church, the elders of the church do not have a different standard of living. They simply have a different accountability before God. You're supposed to look at your elders and see not perfect men. There's only one perfect man. Amen, church? His name is Jesus. But the elders of the church ought to be living in such a way that you can look and say, that's what it looks like, not to live perfectly, but to live like Jesus, to pursue Jesus, to follow Jesus. That is an example to me that I want to follow. And that is why we need these warnings from the scriptures. We, we must feel the weight. It's amazing. Peter does not want us to escape the weight that leaders are supposed to feel. 
I would argue as we look around the landscape of fallen leaders in the church, and there are, there are too many to count, the reason for men falling in ministry repeatedly is because they forget the weight and responsibility. They forget the greater accountability to God. And this is a massive weight. But the good news here is this. Lest we be crushed by this weight, God gives us hope. And here's what he says to the, the elders of the church. Lastly, expect the crown from God. Verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. One day the chief shepherd will appear and you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We are reminded here of who we are. Listen, elders, men who are being installed today, you are under shepherds. There's only one chief shepherd. And one day he is returning and we will all stand before him. Christ will recognize and reward those who worked for him and not for themselves. And the truth is, is if you're seeking glory in this life for your efforts, you're either going to have it here or you're going to find yourself sorely disappointed. If you're seeking his glory, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I love what Richard Fuller says. He says this, Today let us rise and go to our work. Tomorrow we shall rise and go to our reward. The reward will certainly be worth the labor. It is a crown of glory. And this is true of all God's children. There is a crown of glory awaiting all those who faithfully follow Jesus. And temporal crowns, listen, anything this world wants to offer you, anything of value this world holds out, it is nothing in comparison to the crown of glory that you will receive. And anything you lose in this life for following Jesus, listen, it will be replaced and you will be rewarded a hundredfold on the day he returns. It is a crown of eternal glory that will be in proportion to your faithful service to his flock. So elders, stay at the work of guarding and guiding God's family. May you keep your eyes fixed upon him and his grace, waiting for his appearing. And we got just a little bit of time here for a bonus point. I got one command for the, for the community, okay? We got the exhortations for the elders. Here's one command for the community. That's the rest of you. Listen to what he says in verse four, or verse five, excuse me. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble church. How can you be faithful? Humble yourselves. Elders here, just so you're aware, elders here does not refer to age. It refers to the office. And younger here, much to our chagrin, does not refer to age either. It refers to everybody else in the church. So to the church, he gives this blanket statement, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud. This is active, ongoing. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So church, listen, as you consider your elders, humbly come under their leadership as they humbly seek to guide and lead you towards the Lord. Love them, 
encourage them, pray for them, and serve joyfully with them so that you all might experience God's marvelous grace working in you and through you to advance his gospel and his glory.